Welcome to Apollo's Muses, the COVID culture and cash series. Hi everybody, happy Wednesday and welcome to episode six of the COVID culture and cash series of podcasts. My name is David Burgess, I'm a fundraising consultant working in the arts and culture sector and I'm director of Apollo Fundraising. Through this series I'm talking to arts fundraisers across the UK hearing their stories about how they're fundraising for their organisations during the coronavirus pandemic. In this episode, I'm talking to Dominic Haddock, who's Head of Development and Communications at English Touring Opera. As some of you might know, uh, I was Head of Fundraising at ETO before becoming a fundraising consultant five years ago. Under Dominic's leadership over the last few years, the organisation's really gone from strength to strength. I'd spoken to Dominic and the rest of the team at ETO about a week before the UK went into lockdown, and we were talking about the spring tour. So when the theatres closed, my heart instantly went out to ETO, knowing the impact it would have on their spring season. Despite being a relatively small company, English Touring Opera cover a huge geographic spread, taking high-quality live opera to audiences across the UK. That includes normally five to six main stage productions going into theatres, as well as a really incredible programme of work going into schools, community centres, as well as creating operas specifically for those with special educational needs. The nature of English drawing operas work means they don't spend very much time in any one town or city. So one of the challenges for fundraisers has always been how to keep supporters feeling engaged and connected to the company when they might only be able to see productions for one or two nights of the year. One of the reasons for the continued success under Dominic's leadership is the importance he places in stewardship and in taking a donor-centred approach to fundraising. So I was really keen to hear how he and his colleagues were continuing to engage supporters during lockdown. Hi everybody, welcome to episode 6 of the COVID Culture and Cash podcast series and I'm delighted to be joined by Dominic Haddock who's Head of Development and Comms at English Touring Opera. Good morning Dominic, how are you? Hi David, I'm very well thank you, how are you? Yeah, not too bad, thank you, not too bad. Thanks Good, so much thanks for, for having me on. No, a pleasure. It's um, You were one of the first people I, I thought of when I started doing podcast series because obviously we were talking we were at the IOF culture conference just before all this started yeah, yeah. and and obviously as I'm sure we'll discuss in just a second I know that ETO was just at the very start of their spring tour so my heart absolutely went out to the organization when when theatres closed you were absolutely the first organization that that sprung Thank to mind you. yeah I think that IOF conference was my kind of last day obviously not literally in the office but um one of the last working days of um the old world, I think. Everything sort of changed that week. So for people that haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, do you want to say a bit about yourself, your um, background, and a little bit about English Touring Opera? Yeah, sure. So um, English Touring Opera, um, we tour uh, either five or six main stage productions uh, around the country each year, from Cumbria to Cornwall. And uh, we also tour uh, a learning participation programme to schools, to children's centres, special educational needs settings, and to groups of older people living with dementia. We've got a full-time staff of 16, and we employ a couple of hundred freelancers and artists a year, 
and are fortunate enough to receive Arts Council investment as a Band 3 MPO. I am the Head of Development and Communications, um, which I think has actually been particularly useful in this sort of time of crisis to make sure that our messaging is, uh, is unified and that particularly when, when our teams are separated, people you know, know where to go to when we have, yeah, we have unified messages across those departments. In terms of me, my background um, was as a um, producer, a, a theatre producer originally, then theatre and opera producer. Um, and I was involved in the very early days of a company called Opera Up Close. And uh, was a, I'm a long-term audience member and fan of English Touring Opera. And, and ETO, a number of people at ETO were very um, helpful in those early days at Opera Up Close. Um, David, you being one of them, of course, and, and a number of other colleagues, and particularly ETO's artistic director, James Conway. And so I was always kind of close to the company and, and went off and did other things after I got close. I um, went to Spitalfields Music and was head of development there. And then recently, about 18 months ago, an opportunity came up to join ETO and I, I jumped at it. And I've had a fantastic time since. So what, what does fundraising normally look like for, for ETO when we're not in the middle of a global pandemic? Yeah, so we, um, as I said earlier, we receive investment from Arts Council England. Um, so our, our statutory annual income is about 1.8 million of a turnover of, of between three and a half million and four million a year. We have a, a good deal of earned income from box office, ticket sales and various other bits and pieces, um, which is about £800,000. And then trust and foundation relationships are, are very important to us. We have a number of sort of strategic um, multi-year relationships um, and then lots and lots of funding from from small family trusts or small local trusts um, of course our, our work being national we we have access to a, a number of important local um, supporters so that's that's around about two hundred thousand pounds a year and then we have a, a really loyal and enthusiastic um, base of individual supporters, which brings an income of about £150,000 a year-ish from about 400 people. Uh, yeah, that's kind of what our, our, our model looks like, I guess. We, we have a number of um, in-kind corporate partnerships too. Um, we haven't at the moment, and haven't for a few years now, had um, any cash partnerships with corporates. That was very much uh, sort of in our pipeline and we had a number of very healthy looking prospects and then COVID came along and most of those have been blown because of the nature of those prospects business having been uh, severely disrupted recently. So we're sort of rethinking strategies there um, on, on the corporate side. But yeah, that's, that's broadly what our model looks like. And you mentioned the 400 individual supporters is that how's that split is that sort of membership or is that um yeah so so most of those are our annual um membership we have a um kind of introductory level friendship membership um that is uh, affordable and just gets one a little bit closer one his news first priority booking um, those sorts of things and then there are there are tiers of membership and one can get closer to to the work and to the company and and do things like come into rehearsals and, and come to dress rehearsals and have insight talks and, and evenings or afternoons with some of the artists and, and meet some of the people involved in the productions. Yeah, we also run a, a syndicate model um, whereby about half a dozen 
individuals support a specific season. Sometimes that's production, but we like to be a bit a bit broader um, in, in recent syndicates. So one is supporting the whole of that season. And that's a great opportunity for someone who has a, a love of a particular repertoire. So, you know, they might love Handel's music, say, or, or they might love 20th century British music, say. Um, and so where we have a production or a season where you feel particularly strongly, um, you can get very close to that season as, as part of the syndicate. Um, and that's been a really uh, a rich vein of, of income for us um, in the past few years. And so how many in your, in your team? So in the development team, there are currently three of us. Uh, so that's me. Um, and then we have uh, two development officers, one of whom's focus is almost solely on individual giving. And the other's sole focus almost exclusively is trust and foundations. Um, we have a new member of the team joining us in the autumn. And that is a, a role supported by the John Elliman Foundation. Very, very grateful to the foundation for, for making that role possible. And that person will work with our supporters um, more closely with our supporters on the road. Um, so we had wanted to get um, closer to our existing supporters and our audiences on the road, um, understand our audiences a bit more, understand their, their likes and dislikes, both in terms of repertoire, but also in terms of our work and, and uh, also get to know the areas better in which we tour to, understand that, you know, the societies or the choirs or, or, or whatever that, that we should be engaging a bit more with in each town community we visit. Um, and so that person is coming in to do that from the autumn. And then also within the sort of development and comms team, we also have a, um, a marketing comms officer um, who I work with to get the word out about various things. So a, a relatively small team, given the, the huge geographic region you're trying to cover. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and part of uh, investing in a, in a new person is, is to, to help us with that. But we have a small but very effective and enthusiastic team. Tell us about how coronavirus has then impacted the company. What, what's this meant, particularly at a, a sort of financial level? Yeah, so, so number one, is, as you mentioned earlier, we just opened our spring tour. So we got um, four, five performances into a 59 performance tour. Um, that's first time performances main stage and then another 40 or 50 um, in the schools um, and children's centres. So we... Uh, we lost all but everything of of our box office income for the spring tour. What we worked out very quickly was how to maintain our commitment to our freelance company, uh, artists and technicians. And we decided that that, um, that was uh, important to us and, and the most important thing to us. And so whilst we didn't deliver any of those performances, we have uh, paid every freelancer, um, artist and technician for that spring tour, um, for, for the full tour. That's incredible. That's... Um, yeah, it was a really, it was, you know, it wasn't a difficult decision in that it was something that we all felt was the, the most important thing to do to support freelancers. And, and as we know, as we're hearing more and more, certainly more recently, the impact on, on freelancers and freelance artists is going to be catastrophic, um, particularly if this continues on into the autumn, as we all now sort of suspect that it will. Um, so, Yes, it, it was it was not a difficult decision in that way. It was quite difficult to to work out how we'd square the numbers, and uh, how we would try and make that up with some fundraising, some sort of crisis fundraising efforts, and and how, to what extent we felt it was appropriate to dip into um, the reserves that we built up over 
over a great number of years, thanks to um, keen financial management. And uh, you know, those those reserves are for rainy days, and we're in we're in rainy days, that's for sure. So so that was the first thing we did was was make that commitment, and and then communicate that commitment first to those people that we were working with. So our our family of artists and freelancers that would have been with us on the road and made sure that, that they um, knew that they had that assurance before we talked to the general public or, or our audiences and supporters. And then we, we told our audiences and our supporters our position. And, and when we communicated that position to our audiences and supporters, we, we made two commitments to them. We said, first of all, um, what we can tell you for sure is that we are making commitment to our artists and freelancers in this way, i.e. we will pay them for the entirety of the spring tour. Um, and second of all, we made a commitment um, to our audiences to keep music in their lives through this period of crisis. We were pretty upfront um, that at that stage, we didn't know how we'd do that. Um, and that we would have, so we, we, all we were able to tell them was that we had our best creative minds on the case. And ETO, we're lucky enough to have some pretty fantastic creative minds. But uh, yeah, we, we made that commitment to them. So, so in terms of our communication, our sort of initial communication, we didn't rush. I think that's an important thing to say. You know, once we'd made sure that our, our artists and freelancers knew that we were there for them and the rest of our, our full-time staff knew we were there for them, um, we made sure that that message was A, clear and, and concise with some nuance. But also we, we didn't want to get sort of caught in the traffic everyone announcing closures. You know, of course, we put on the website that tour performances were cancelled um, when as and when they were cancelled. So that people coming to us um, to understand the situation, it was clear that they couldn't book a ticket and shouldn't book a ticket. But everyone was closing their performances and their tours. That, that was not news. Um, and we wanted to make sure that the commitment we made to our audiences, particularly that that resonated and that that they knew okay English touring opera are going to stay in our lives for this period what our fundraising team have spent most of their time in the last six seven weeks um, has been talking to people so talking to our our um, individual supporters and talking to our trust and foundation uh, supporters too you know and we're finding out as as the rest of the world the charity world are that you know the, the loss of, of investments for trusts and also for individuals is going to lead to a, a sort of fun, funding opportunity shortfall. Um, we understand, of course, that, that lots of trusts and individuals are going to refocus what support they're able to give on, on health causes, health charities. Um, we know that there's going to be greater demand for funds um, caused by less supply and probably greater need as arts organizations have gone through what might be a year of none or very few performances and, and very little earned income opportunity. And for, for existing and potential corporate partners, you know, there's huge business disruption. So um, it, is, it is gonna be more challenging. I think a lot of those are actually trends that we were seeing anyway in arts fundraising. Um, you know, I think refocus on social and, and health causes. I think, you know, greater demand um, caused by greater need. Th these are not new things. Yes, they're much more acute now. Um, but I think we in the arts world have understood recently that we have to get better at demonstrating our impact. Um, we have to get better at, at making it clear the, the way in which we change people's lives and the way in which um, 
the arts changes the world. Um, we know that. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, sort of doubling down on that is what we're all going to have to do in, in months and years to come. We have had a number of individual supporters who have made it clear to us that the level of support they have given in previous years will reduce. We haven't had anyone say that they are stopping altogether yet, which, which is fantastic. And we, equally, we haven't had any trusts who we are in a funding partnership with say they will no longer support us in the future. But we do know that lots of trusts, understandably, are having board meetings about the way in which they will support organisations in the short and long term. And our pipeline, our sort of application pipeline, has been blown to bits a bit um, in, in trusts and, as I said, in corporates. Trust particularly is understandably boards of trustees are saying you know we need some time to think about this and and the the board meeting we were going we were due to have in may which was a um you know a funding meeting is not going to be a funding meeting it's going to be a, a strategy meeting and so that's delayed by a month or three months or, or whatever and some strategic trusts and foundations are understandably um have said already that they're refocusing to support um arts organizations that have been victims of this crisis so and and those are all you know good things they they are um, strategies that that i personally support um they are going to make our fundraising more challenging in the coming months so you mentioned that no one's come forward and saying they're going to to sort of drop drop their support how's this working for members because obviously the membership offer is quite transactional is driven by benefits linked to the performances what has been the message then to, to members and what's been the response you've seen from them? Yeah, I mean, yes, the, the membership program um, to, to, to some and maybe to a great extent is, is benefit driven. We've actually been trying to um, develop that slightly in the last 12 months to make that a more philanthropic message um, and, and less benefit driven. Um, particularly where we are encouraging people to sort of promote themselves through the membership program and it actually about the impact that they can make on our work. The message about the impact that they can make on our work and our future now is, is sort of, you know, keener than ever. So that's been our, a big part of our message. I mean, what we've done is made sure that we have stayed in their lives. So we have gone through a campaign of, of phone calls. So we have spoken to almost all of our individual donors we haven't quite got to the, the bottom of the list but um we are and certainly you know where we have permission and that's from different voices which i think is important so that our development officer whose um role is individual giving um has been making uh, a, a great number of those calls so have i so have other members of the team so has james conway our artistic director and more recently so have artists um so obviously we've been in, in contact a great deal with our artists who are, are making some fantastic digital content too which are I'll come on to, but a number of them volunteered themselves and, you know, asked us how they could be helpful in this time for various communications and fundraising efforts. And one of the ways is, is by calling up our supporters. So, you know, out of the blue, some of our supporters have had a call from, from the conductor in Quasi Fantuti or the soprano in um, Giulia Cesare. And, and, you know, that's pretty special, right? And, and so how can we make sure that we are giving our supporters probably different benefits you know that they're not having receptions at <laughs> performances and they're not seeing the shows um right now but making it very clear what their support means to us right now and thanking them in in uh new to us ways i know lots of organizations do do a lot of this already you know we've had a 
uh, a quick postcard printed up and, and we've sent handwritten notes to anyone that supported our, our COVID campaign in recent weeks. Um, we're, we're planning a, a virtual cocktail party um, for groups of supporters at which uh, artists and members of the ETO team will be to have as hopefully informal conversations as we can and sort of replicate the experience that one would have at an interval reception if one were coming to a performance. Um, yeah, and then there's been a, a big, we have created a, a lot of digital content, um, which, which became our, our major commitment to keeping music in, in people's lives. So I'm really interested by the phone calls with the artists. What's been the structure of the call? Has it just been a sort of chat to see how the supporters are and to sort of talk about some of the stuff ETO is doing? Or has there been a, an ask within that call? Or is it sort of dependent on who the, who the supporter was and how the conversation went? Yeah, I think it goes back to our sort of overarching strategy for this period. Our strategy here was to stay close to our supporters, our nearest and dearest. And for this immediate period to not be a, um, I mean, every period is a fundraising period for, for fundraisers, right? But, but this was not the key focus. Fundraising right now was not the key focus. It was more about a medium term strategy of staying in people's lives developing relationships, making sure that our nearest and dearest know that we are there for them um, and listening to them and understanding what's going on in their lives, rather than all the emphasis being on a quick fix, um, fill a hole individual giving campaign. Yes, we have run a, uh, a COVID crisis campaign, which we set a target of 50,000 pounds. And um, at the end of last week, we have met that, which we're very pleased about. And that campaign is gonna be a really vital part of our financial strategy um, in the short term, and has enabled us to um, create a lot of the digital content that, that we have done. But um, yeah, we're, you know, ETO were 40 years old this year. And we're thinking about longevity here. We're thinking about the next 40 years and how we make sure that, that, we, that by staying in people's lives now, they stay with us for the long term. So that's been our overarching strategy. That has, of course, influenced the, the structure in which all communications to supporters and audience is taking. So the calls that we've been doing from uh, members of our team, both the sort of office full-time team and also um, the wider team, the wider family of, of artists and others, have not been fundraising calls. They are calls to, to stay in people's lives to understand what's going on to them. So there hasn't been a script um, or anything like that. There has been a, a sort of three bullet point structure, which is the first thing is to understand how that person is, um, what impact this is having on their lives. There's been a bit of data gathering about when people might feel comfortable coming back to theatres or, or um where they are in the country and whether that's changed during the crisis, you know, um, whether they've moved to be with other members of the family, et cetera. So just understanding that person. And then the second point is to be able to communicate really clearly what ETO are doing in this time. So if and when the question comes up of, you know, how is, how is the crisis affecting English touring opera, that we are able to communicate you know, logistically what we've done and what our thinking is for plans of the future and, and how we might produce autumn in, in what way the autumn tour might happen or not. And then what we've been doing in the interim with our digital content creation. And then if, and only if that supporter has asked how they can help, 
then we have directed them to our COVID fundraising campaign. And, and then, you know, other opportunities. We talked to them about what they might do with us in 2021 that might be different to, to the way in which they, um, their relationship was with us in 2020 or 2019. I'm interested in terms of the COVID appeal, because I think, am I right in thinking that that links to this desire to make sure you're paying the, the freelancers and that team during this time? So was that choice of message driven because that's where the financial need was? You'd made that decision to pay people, so you said, that's what we need to raise money for. Or was there an element of thinking, actually, we think this is also what our supporters would want to support, what they're most likely to give to? Yeah, good question. I mean, I think, it, I think it's both. We have such a, a great number of really long-term and loyal supporters that, that we know, we personally know. And we know that the, the sort of broad trends and, and feelings of them and supporting artists is a really important part of their um, support. Um, and I think it's a really important part of ETO's ethos too. And I don't think those are coincidences, right? One, one attracts like-minded people to one's organisation. And I think our supporters share a lot of the, the English touring opera ethos. So it really, it, it came from us and, and came from James Conway, our um, artistic director and, and Janie Shorten and, and the board. And then the way in which we communicated it and, and sort of crafted that campaign was, uh, was absolutely from those people too. But I also had a, a lot of help from friends. Um, what's been really fantastic through this, particularly the early days of the campaign, where, you know, we were all having a little bit of, a panic and a meltdown in you know work-wise and and we were in uncharted waters and i had so many fundraisers who i hugely respect get in touch out of the blue and and say can i help do you want to bounce some ideas off me or you know i'm i'm an audience member as well as a fundraiser do you want to try some lines on me and our mutual friend bernard ross for example was um incredibly supportive and and we spent quite a lot of time on the phone going over some some messages and I've spoken to to you David and the likes of Rob Woods and Kate Hogg and and lots and lots of others who um, either kind of proactively got in touch with me or or who have been very happy to receive a phone call and bat some ideas around so we also have fantastic experience and, and senior leaders on our on our board of trustees um, so, yeah, we've got senior leaders from other arts organisations. We've got uh, senior executives at the Premier League um, in broadcasting from the finance sector. And, and they have all been incredibly supportive and also helped us to sort of think creatively about the way in which we're tackling this and the way in which we are shaping our messaging. I think what's been important is that um, our messaging has been very personal. So where one has received an email or letter you know, in James Conway's name, that's been written by James. And I think his voice comes out really strongly and his voice is, is known, our donors particularly. And where you've had a message from me, it has been written by me. And that is a, a, a pretty different, you know, James and I speak and write in different ways. And each one of those messages sounds different. And I think that's important too, that, that people understand they're hearing from people because that's what we're missing, right? You know, through all this, through this isolation, we're missing speaking to people and hearing from people as much. Um, so we made sure that our messages haven't been from ETO. I mean, we try and do that as much as possible in, in real life, as it were. But I think it's been particularly important here that 
yeah, you can, when you've had a message from James, you can really hear it. And so the, the way in which we communicated our campaign, which yes, was about supporting artists, but it just as much it was about our commitment to keeping music in people's lives came from us as people. Um, you know, that's what we believe in. That's what we hope and, and, and think our, is important to our supporters too. Um, so the two have kind of dovetailed nicely into one another. So then what does the longer t- term look like in terms of fundraising? Obviously the campaign you've run so far has sort of addressed that, a bit of that immediate need. Where are you and the team going to be focusing on over the coming months? Yeah, I mean, uh, certainly in the coming weeks, I mean, thinking about coming months is, <laughs> is God knows, but no, um, it's in the coming weeks, it's most of our work at the moment is centered around um, this digital content, which I, I keep alluding to. So it's probably worth me sort of spelling out exactly what we've been doing. We, um, the first thing we did was take an audiovisual recording of the St. John Passion, which we performed at Hackney Empire um, in late February, early March, which was the first performance of that production in our spring tour and it was due to have another uh, 10 performances through the tour we had recorded that for archive purposes only um so it wasn't something you know that was terribly or singing or dancing and that was supposed to be broadcast we at english drawing opera you know believe in the live and don't have a broadcast arm to our work but um to to bring that really special production was to to get that out was really important to us had the tour gone ahead as usual that production would have featured three choirs in each town that we toured to three community non-professional local choirs so because we couldn't do that we put a call out to those choirs and asked people if they were happy to to submit their performances from uh, isolation on their either camera phone or computer and uh, we sent out a click track we sent out a video of um, Jonathan Peter Kenny the conductor conducting um, so they could they could follow it and then we edited all those together we had 90 individual videos come in so we edited all those together and, and released it on Easter Sunday and we released that St John Passion as a, a listening project so this was a broadcast that we hoped our audiences and supporters and, and, and others, people new to English Touring Opera, um, would come together at four o'clock on Easter Sunday and all watch and listen together, knowing that we hoped hundreds, and it turned out that indeed hundreds and thousands of um, fellow audience members were listening to it at the same time. So that you know, we were trying to get a feeling of unity, a feeling of audience, um, a feeling of, of connection, around the country and um and it was it was pretty special and we had we had about ten thousand people join us um for that production um and that's gone up to about fifteen thousand now that have watched it in in recent weeks since easter um it closes on the 10th of may so you can still just about catch that st john passion if you're quick so that's been really important we've also we have made or in the process of continuing to make lots of other piece of digital content. I think the count is at about 40 now, and some of those are performances. Some of those are um, insight talks um, and interviews. Um, Others are skill sharings, mostly from members of our orchestra. Um, Some are, oh yeah, and then we have a really fantastic uh, series, which is uh, singing lessons. 
we have a series of singing lessons for adults and a different series of singing lessons for children, all delivered by artists that would have been with us on the spring tour. So they're great. And then we also have music workshops for children with special educational needs too, which is, which is a big part of our, our learning participation program. And we were due to take a, um, an SEND opera around the country this year, which we haven't been able to. So, yeah, so, so that, so our, our sort of our fundraising efforts have, have been to support those really in the coming weeks, as well as understanding, you know, more and more how our funders, you know, what our funders are doing what decisions are going to be delayed or, or what streams will be available to us that haven't been before, whether that's emergency or, or a change in, in strategy for, for funders, either individual or, or trust and foundation or arts council. Um, and, and reacting to those um, where appropriate, you know, I think it's important to, to kind of keep our heads and, and we have a, you know, we have overriding strategy in the organization and we have areas of, uh, of income that we were looking to develop and and we intend to continue with that overarching strategy and try not to be too reactive and, and be applying to things just because they've come along but actually really interrogate whether that fund is right for us whether it would be appropriate for us to apply to that fund and whether you know if we're successful in, in that application, whether that's actually work that, that we want to do and that, that fits in with um, what English Touring Opera want to do over the, over the coming months and years. I mean, of course, a lot of our focus right now would have been on 2021 and 2022. So a lot of that work can continue, we hope, as, as usual. Yeah, but, but, but maintaining, you know, we had, a, we had a good strategy, maintaining that strategy um, and adapting it to, to the current climate rather than kind of wholesale change are there any things then that that have changed as a result of lockdown and and coronavirus that you hope continue once this is all over yeah i mean it's difficult to tell right now this second because you know this has all been well crisis management hasn't it you know a lot of this has been crisis management and it's been you know kind of hand-to-mouth stuff and, and the dust hasn't settled but I think, I think, I hope we're successfully staying in people's lives and, and more than perhaps we would have been even if we'd been delivering the tour. So I think that's something that we um, will interrogate um, and understand whether that's something we can do better in general. You know, can we talk to our supporters more? Can we make more phone calls? It has been a part of our, our strategy in the last year, 18 months, um, to, to speak to people on the phone and, and to speak to people without a specific agenda. And, you know, because of our, our geographical challenges in that we have supporters in Cumbria and in Cornwall, and we have an HQ in London, we have tried to overcome them by using the phone and, and making sure that we are, you know, writing individual letters and getting to know people rather than thinking about, you know, what message we're going to get to our gold members it's actually about what message are we going to get to john smith in in durham but we have certainly invested more time in talking to people recently um i think that's something we can continue to make time for um and just remember the impact that that's had how effective it's been and, and the you know the warmth that's come back from our supporters of course this is a very unique time but i think you know the warmth that's come back from people will be there if and when we continue to to that sort of strategy um after life has got back to some sort of normality i think 
you know, everything through this crisis, the usual ways of doing things have been impossible. And that's forced us to think really creatively about everything we do. And I think that's really healthy too. You know, make, making sure that we approach things and, and interrogate whether that's the best way to be doing it, um, whatever it is, you know, that process is, is important. And I think if we continue that mindset, that would be really helpful, you know, and, and approach some things differently and not just do this this way because we've done it that way, you know, for five years or 10 years or since anyone in the office can remember. Um, I think that's healthy. Some teams in English Drawing Opera have worked more closely together. So the development team and um, the marketing team are generally, generally work pretty closely. Um, and in, in our physical office in London, we all sit on the same floor and uh, in close proximity. But I think we have worked more hand in hand in this period than we have before um, because we've had to work, you know, to, to overcome different things and, and um, under probably tighter time pressures and with less planning. And so, you know, putting heads together has, has been really important. And I'm sure there'll be other things to, to come out of it once, as I say, the dust settled. And, and, and again, that we can talk to our supporters and, and hear from them what's had the best impact on, on them, what they would like to have known more about, what they want to perhaps know less about. Um, yeah, so some thinking still to be done, but I think there are things to come out of this, some positives. And a whole load of your supporters auditioning for future pro productions having spent all of lockdown having singing lessons exactly yeah i mean it's fantastic that the st john so so as part of that um listening project for the st john we we really encourage people to tell us either in a letter or by email or on social media um or in the comment section on on youtube where they were who they were with what they were feeling what they thought you know to give us as much kind of to to, to talk to create a community um through that um, 90 minutes or so uh, of, of performance and and then even and increasingly since we've had so many people write to us to say that the videos we've been making have inspired them to pick up that instrument they've been gathering dust in a cupboard or, or in a corner during lockdown and um, that it's actually made them get on YouTube and, and, you know, pick up some other lessons from other people, you know, um, to, to get going with that instrument again. And a, and a great number of people too say that they have researched and, and found their local choir, which they've never sung with before. And the moment lockdown ceases, they're going to join that choir. And yeah, they've been just really, really oh, amazing. amazing messages of, of music and not only remaining in people's lives, but becoming increasingly important. And, you know, when, when one goes through a crisis, one relies on, on one's greatest passions, right? Even more than, than in the good times. Um, and I think music, it, it seems to me, talking to our supporters and speaking very personally, music has been more important to, to me and to others than ever right now. Whether that's playing, singing, or, or just listening. So yeah, yeah, that's been a really nice outcome. Yeah, I must admit, I'm taking part in more music at the moment at home than I ever have before, uh, which has included singing and has reminded me why I never sing in public. So, uh... <laughs> so have you got any lessons, any tips, any advice to other arts fundraisers who are perhaps looking for a little bit of direction at the moment? I think, speaking personally, the thing that's been most useful for me is um, is talking to colleagues and um, friends in the industry, other fundraisers, other 
comms professionals. I mean, all of this is so individual and so personal to one's organization or one's situation that, you know, there isn't, and, and yeah, sure, there are, there are crisis management online courses or whatever, but, you know, I think making time to think creatively on one's own and then sharing that with members of one's team and colleagues outside one's team who maybe have a slightly different perspective, you know, being outside the organization and um, perhaps having, if they're a coach or, or, or consultant or freelancer, they might have heard lots of organizations' perspectives and, and so be able to give you some sort of distance and, and some thoughts there. Yeah, that's what I do. And if, if those people aren't immediately in your network, you know, search them out a bit, um, you know, talk to, talk to David, um, talk to you or, or, you know, get stuff out on social media, just saying, Hey, I, I'd love to talk. Um, there are great meeting places for, for fundraising. And of course the IOF is always a great, um, start for those. Um, and their, their LinkedIn pages and that sort of thing would be somewhere I'd go if I were you. Yeah. Keep talking to people. Don't, don't don't get isolated um, as much as one possibly can. You know, we, we've done a lot together as a team at English Touring Opera. Um, we've had twice weekly whole team meetings on Zoom. Um, we've maintained in the development team, we've maintained our weekly one-to-one meetings. We've got a development team WhatsApp, which, you know, lots of our messaging goes through. So even if it's not specifically about Trust and Foundation, a Trust and Foundation concern, the uh, development officer who's um, folks on Trust My Nations will, will get that and see it and, and be part of that conversation. Uh, there have been people organizing team lunches. Um, there are team drinks now once a week. <laughs> yeah, that's that's been really important to stay connected. I think also for me, I think the the most difficult time was in the first kind of two or three weeks when I hadn't settled down into routines or rather I hadn't, I hadn't created a routine because this was all new and I don't really do working from home. I know lots of, uh, you know, colleagues do, but I'm not really a working from home person. I'm a working in the office person and offices where I do my work or offices and theaters anyway. Um, and home, uh, I don't. Um, and so, yeah, finding a routine in the morning, you know, I, I felt at one stage in about kind of week two, like I was longing for my commute. Right. And, and I, and I'd never rationalized this. I'd never understood this, but, my commute is is clearly somewhere where I, in the mornings, where I kind of put family, kids, that life away, and get into work brain, and also have a bit of you know a bit of alone time too, mm. uh, away from away from my uh, loving family and uh, much beloved colleagues. Um, actually, having some some alone time is is important. And then on on the way back, stopping work. You know, and, and it's a, it was clearly a real moment for me where I stopped work and went into a sort of home headspace again. And not having that commute, I think I wasn't, I wasn't giving myself time to stop, to sort of put work away. And, you know, all those things that people that work from home regularly, you know, totally uh, are all over and get, you know, the like, make sure that you have a room that you work in and don't work at your kitchen table, all those sorts of good things you know, I hadn't done before really, um, or certainly hadn't done for 10, 15 years or so. So, um, yeah, I setting myself routines was just a really important, um, sort of mindset change for me. So make sure, I mean, you know, we're what eight weeks in now, so you probably, you probably got all those. I think an important part with us is, and in our development team is to keep working to targets. I think 
particularly in the early days, you know, and those targets will change, you know, have changed and, and that's okay too. But certainly I faced and, and my team shared with me that they faced a kind of, you know, where are we feeling? What, what should we be working on, you know, and, and to what extent? And what does success look like at the moment? And what does failure look like at the moment? How do we evaluate? Um, how do we get motivated? You know, that's not to say that, you know, people sitting and twiddling their thumbs, but like, uh, you know, should we be thinking about our autumn 2021 season and, and the applications that would be going into that or the conversations we'd be having with major donors about that season now? Like, does, does that feel mad talking to someone about something in, in a year or 18 months time when, when everything that's going on in the world? And ought we to be talking to our supporters about fundraising at all, given this, you know, awful um, global um, health crisis, should we be asking them to support an opera? I mean, I think, I think yes, actually, you know, I think if, we, if, we're, if we're fundraisers for the arts in the good times, then it's even more important to fundraise for art and culture in, in the tough times. Um, you know, we really believe that the work we do at English Touring Opera makes a difference to people's lives and, and changes the world a little bit. And, and we have to maintain that. We have to continue to do that now during the crisis. And we have to make sure that we're able to do that in 2021 and 2022. And if we, you know, if, if we don't feel that urgency now, you know, we won't all be here in six months or, or 12 months time. But, but yeah, setting targets for that and, and making sure that one is able to evaluate one's work. And you know what? At, at 5.30 or 6 o'clock, go, yep, that was a good day. That was an, that was an effective day. I did good. I'm stopping now. Um, and that's something that's, that's really important to me and my team uh, in normal times. That, you know, we know when we've done a good day's work. And if we don't think we have, that we're not going to continue, you know, we're not going to work till midnight. But we're going to have to refocus tomorrow um, and it's going to have to be a more effective day. And we know that we're able to measure that productivity or, or, or sometimes lack of that's allowed to. But when, when the COVID crisis came along, that, that kind of changed. Like all of a sudden we didn't know what was, what was productive, what was effective and, and what wasn't. Um, and so we had to shape that pretty quickly. Um, and I think again, just just working against some targets and most fundraisers like a target understanding that some colleagues don't too and and you know um yeah making sure that that everyone is in a their most effective workspace is important too but yeah i think just just kind of keeping us on the on the straight and narrow so so what have i said talk to people you know talk to other colleagues outside your organization make sure you stay really connected to colleagues inside your organization Make sure their well-being and your well-being is is you know number one on the agenda, um, and keep keep your routines, keep as much as you possibly can, or, or make new routines and keep your targets, or make new ones. And it definitely feels like the the sector is pulling together on this. There's fantastic places you can go to find those communities, those networks, and obviously, as you mentioned, there's the IOF pages, and particularly the IOF Cultural Sector Network LinkedIn page, and various fundraising groups on Facebook and, and Twitter as well. Last question then before I let you go. Uh, you've mentioned the fantastic content that ETO's been creating and we'll make sure we put a link to as much of that as possible on the Apollo fundraising page uh, with this podcast. 
Is there any other arts and culture digital content that you've seen that you would recommend to other people? Yeah, um, absolutely. I think um, I'm certainly watching um, the Nationals live froms uh, every every week. Um, I'm watching a lot of uh, live from opera and a lot through Sky Arts. Um, there's a lot of good stuff on Sky Arts. And, and then, of course, most organizations have their own YouTube channels and, and the like. Um, there's also lots of great, fantastic kids content, too. Um, we have two small children. And uh, the Half Moon Theatre are putting out some great stuff for kids. Little Angel have put out some really fantastic stuff. Um, uh, and the Royal Opera House too, the, the, the um, Pete and the Wolf, the Royal Opera House did a few weeks ago, went down very well here. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's so much good stuff out there and actually kind of uh, getting getting to it all has been has been tricky. Um, uh, I know that The Guardian have a great kind of guide um, to what's on each week. Uh, I think it comes out on Monday. So I would I would check out the, the guide and I'm sure other publications are available. Um, everyone has their own good guides. Um, so check out... Um, what's going on but yeah like immerse yourself in it because i think this we're really we're really lucky right now to be getting all this content um uh, often for free um and i think there's there's a lot of thinking to be done in in the months and years ahead about um how we might continue that how um, we might enable that content to, to be an income stream for our organizations and, and to keep supporting them but also how we keep the live um, and how we really celebrate and champion the live, which is, um, yeah, important to, to all of us. Yeah, there's lots out there. Fantastic. I'm definitely going to go and check out the stuff for young people. I'll keep my, my daughter entertained for yeah, <laughs> the next do, couple of days. Yeah, do. Dominic, it's great as always chatting to you. Thank you so much for giving up so much of your time this morning. Thanks, and David. We great wish pleasure. you and all the team at, at ETO the very best over Thank the coming you. weeks and months. Thank you. That was Dominic Haddock there, giving us some insight into what the fundraising team at English Touring Opera have been doing during the coronavirus lockdown. I'm hugely grateful to Dominic for giving up his time and being so open in sharing how ETO has been responding to this crisis. One thing that really stood out for me was just how much ETO have been focusing on understanding and trying to meet the needs of their supporters and how that has been the key part of the message rather than the needs of the organisation. And I think that idea of reciprocity, of making it really clear we're here to make sure that there's still music in your lives, helps to then pave the way for supporters to say, well, then how can we help you in return? And I think that reflects one of the quirks of arts fundraising, that our supporters are often also our beneficiaries, our service users. And clearly that was a consideration right from the very start. I thought it was really interesting the way that Dominic said the closure of the theatres, the cancellation of the shows wasn't news. Everyone was saying the same thing at the same time. Their audience members, their supporters knew that was going to be the case. What was news to them was that commitment from ETO and what they were going to try to do to meet the needs of their supporters and their audiences and their artists. Dominic also shared just how important continuing to engage with their supporters has been over the last six weeks and how important that will be going forward. And it's clear they're trying to take a very personalised approach to engaging with their supporters. 
I mentioned at the start that I think donor engagement is something that ETO has always done well, but really interesting to hear Dominic say that they're doubling down on that. And I think that commitment to that personal relationship and deepening that relationship with supporters is why they're seeing very minimal drop-off, even if people are having to scale back their giving at this time because of changes to their financial circumstances. In fact, I think to steal one of Dominic's quotes and change it slightly, if we're donor-centric in the good times, it's even more important to be donor-centric in the tough times. And finally, some really fascinating insight into what Dominic's found he misses during this time and being able to understand what it was about his commute that he particularly valued. And the importance of now creating new routines and systems to respond to this environment. And I think that's important both in a professional sense as well as a personal sense. Looking at the way we've done things in the past and really sort of stripping it back to say, what was the purpose of that? What were we trying to achieve Um, And why was that approach working? So that we can then start rebuilding new structures, new processes, new routines that enable us to achieve those same things in this new environment. Those are just my reflections from my conversation with Dominic. I'd love to hear what you've taken away, any ideas, any inspiration, maybe some things you didn't agree with or things that you think might not work for your organisation. Please do get in touch. Also, please get in touch if you've got a story to share. I'm trying to speak to as many arts fundraisers as possible. So if you're doing some interesting work and continuing to fundraise for your arts organisation at this time, I'd love to chat to you. That brings us to the end of episode six. Before I go, I just want to point you in the direction of the Fundraising Everywhere Festival that's taking place next week, the 11th to the 15th of May. They've pulled together an incredible lineup of over 50 speakers from around the world talking all things fundraising. It's going to be some really interesting insight into some of the big campaigns we've seen recently including a session by just giving looking at colonel tom moore's incredible fundraising efforts and how he's been able to raise over 30 million pounds for nhs charities tickets for the festival are a steal at just under 50 quid to get access to the five days of content live as well as access to recordings afterwards and if your charity has an income of under a hundred thousand pounds a year you can get free tickets so do check out fundraisingeverywhere.com for more information about that in the meantime thanks very much for listening thanks again to dominic for his time and best wishes to him and all the team at eto and i look forward to bringing you another episode of covid culture and cash very soon